Welcome to Center for Spiritual Awareness, the Saturday seminar series. My name is Michael Gadway, and I'm going to be stepping in for Pascal today, who is giving the second talk. Um, our leader today is uh, Leody Franklin, and Leody is going to begin with us. So let me just say welcome, Leody, and um, I'm glad to be here with you all. And let me turn it over to Leody. Thank you, Michael. And good morning to everybody. It's nice to see everybody's face and uh, great to be together again in our spiritual community. Um, we're going to start with a meditation. So I'll be leading you into meditation and I'll uh, let you be quiet for 20, 25 minutes or so and then call you back together for our program session. Um, I thought I'd begin the meditation today by reading the definition of meditation as written by Roy Eugene Davis, um, just to remind us what, what our purpose is. So Roy writes, meditation is an undisturbed flow of attention to an object or ideal to be identified with or realized. Intentional detachment of attention from external conditions the senses, emotions, and mental states that enable one to realize the pure conscious essence of being and the reality of God. So it's an undisturbed flow of attention to your ideal or your object. And so that's what we intend to do with our meditation. Let us close our eyes. Feeling the energy, putting the attention at the base of the spine, draw the attention up and allow it to rest at the point between the eyebrows and the upper region of the brain. Just be aware of the attention in that area. We'll take a moment to honor our lineage of guru here at CSA. Babaji, Lahiri Mahasaya, Sri Yukteswar, Paramahansa Yogananda, Roy Eugene Davis, and all their successors. And open your heart and your mind to the infinite. And then simply allow your attention flow to go right into the object, the technique, the idol that you've chosen. And commit fully to that flow of attention so that it dissolves into the sound, the light, the object of your choice.
Be steady with the flow of attention.
And affirm with me as we close our meditation session. I am firmly resolved to allow my innate urge to have my awareness fully restored to wholeness, freely expressing, I remain dedicated to God realization. Om. Peace. In um, this morning's session, we're going to review the book written by Roy Eugene Davis entitled Satisfying Our Innate Desire to Know God. So we'll be reviewing the concepts and different techniques that Roy presents in this book. And for me, I think the whole purpose would be if we inspire one another to dedicate ourselves more fully to the spiritual path. If we've encouraged you to read the book, and if you've already read the book, uh, pick it up again and do some studying from it. Choose those chapters or those segments that um, just kind of ring a bell for you and stir your soul and contemplate those areas because it's so useful. Um, The more we do the study, the more insights, the more realization we have. And by studying, it means you're just reading a paragraph or a section. It's just filled with such strong wording and clarity and information about our soul nature that if you contemplate that, you get additional insights. Um, I'm always surprised when I pick up one of Roy's books that I read it and I get just a little bit different perspective and uh, just deepens the commitment to the spiritual path. So that if we do any one of those things for you, we've accomplished our purpose for the, for the set. Um, I'll be reading, um, reading. I will be presenting uh, the first uh, session today. And then we have uh, Pascal Chambers and Ryan Strong who will be, taking the second and then the third uh, segment. And as we know, I don't think Pascal needs any introduction because she's always with us in all the sessions and opens up and makes sure that everything's running right um, for the Zoom programs that we have. And Pascal is the program manager for CSA. So she's always um, providing us with recommendations to make things a little bit better, has good insight and obviously a lot of clear energy and enthusiasm to um, make these programs go well. And I think we'll see the same kind of clear energy and enthusiasm from Pascal when she makes her presentation on the second session. And then the third session will be conducted by Ryan Strong. And again, another individual who needs no introductions. He's made several presentations to us here during the past year and a half that we've been doing these um, meetings through Zoom. Uh, Ryan's an Ayurvedic practitioner and um, Joytish astrologer, and he does it with some real clear insights and intuition. 
the same way he makes his presentations. And I'm sure most of you have received the message that Ryan will be moving from California to CSA to take the senior minister position. And I know we'll all give him the same support and love that we had. Uh, he's taking over the duties and responsibility of our beloved Ron Lindon. So we're excited to have Ryan begin that. And I think he's going to start sometime in September formally. Both Ryan and Pascal, as well as myself, are not only dedicated disciples to the Kriya Yoga tradition, but we were ordained as ministers, and we support all these efforts and the programs that we've continued over the past year and a half. And I see many ministers out there, um, so thank you for being here. I thought we would start, or I would start, the uh, first session by reading a, um, well, really a couple of quotes from our uh, guru lineage, because their words are so transformative if you allow them to sink in and open your heart, open your soul to the words and the meaning behind these. So I'm going to start with a quote from Lahiri. And Lahiri says, in the ultimate state of per Perfection, nothing but God exists. When we attain our perfection, which is our divine destiny, we become God, our highest self. God is spirit, therefore he is fully realized in and by our spirit. He is the self, and only in our spiritual self can we cognize him in his absolute reality and divine glory. The next uh, quote is from Yogananda. Look within yourself. When you go beyond the consciousness of this world, knowing that you are not the body, you are not the mind, and yet aware as never before that you exist. That divine consciousness is what you are. You are that in which is rooted everything in the universe. He who knows his soul knows this truth. I am beyond everything finite. I now see that the spirit has expressed itself as the vast body of nature. I am the stars, I am the waves, I am the life of all. I am the laughter within all hearts. I am the smile on the faces of flowers in each soul. I am the wisdom that sustains all creation. And then the last verse is by Roy Eugene Davis. Nothing separates us from God. It is only the habit of identifying with mental emotional, and physical states, and with the objective phenomena that causes and sustains the illusion of independent existence. When this error in perception is corrected, our awareness is immediately restored to wholeness. So some rather profound words and messages there, all expressed a little bit differently. 
in their own style, but all with the same realization. Really, as we think about it, all through different times and cultures and religions, geographical locations, we have had sages and saints and mystics, all enlightened souls, philosophers, poets that have experienced this realization and share the same message. They do it in different words and in different styles, but the message is always there. The one permanent thing that exists is God and God alone. And so it is our desire and our commitment to the spiritual path that we aim for this self and God realization. That's, that's our purpose. Um, if we look at some of the um, various saints and sages sending these messages, you know, we go back to when the written word is first available to us really and, and you can consider quotes like from Buddha, who lived before Christ, some four or five hundred years before Christ. And one of his quotes is, quiet the mind and your soul will speak to you. You don't have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. And then um, another quote that I like is from um, St. Teresa of Avila. And I think she lived in the 1500s. And she says, let nothing disturb you. All things are passing away. God never changes. God is permanent. And God alone suffices. And I'm sure you've read various sages and poets and mystics and all of the message is the same and it resonates with our soul because that is our true nature. That is what we are. And if we study some of the other religions, whether it's Christian or Islamic through Muslim, uh, and we actually read the Bible or the Quran. there's beautiful passages. And the one similarity they all have, in addition to speaking to the truth of our nature, of our true nature, of God, and our soul that is one with pure consciousness, is they also give recommendations about how to live your life. You know, being um, ethical, moral, um, respectful, and seeing the oneness in everything. That's the message. They tell you how to live because it's important to establish a good foundation which leaves a rested mind, a quiet mind. You know, if we have all kinds of issues to deal with, it's more difficult to be calm and allow the mind to still and have the realizations and the insights that we need to really experience our true nature. Uh, the other uh, component that we look at, even like in the Yoga Sutras, gives us a whole lifestyle, whole practices about how to live. And Roy would always emphasize in his commentaries that what we also need to do is study the nature of consciousness, study our relationship with God, 
and do the spiritual practices that assist in our unfoldment. And so meditation is certainly one of the uh, most important spiritual practices. But the idea is to practice it all so that we uh, be prepared to have these realizations and to have them unfold more quickly. So I thought we would go over some of the major concepts uh, of the nature of consciousness. And certainly the first thing is to have a concept of God. And so God is known as the absolute field of consciousness. Absolute. And as we think about this, it's pure. It's not modified. It doesn't have characteristics or attributes. It's just pure consciousness, pure beingness. And that exists for eternity. That's it's eternal, it's birthless, it's deathless, it's infinite, um, always existing. And that is the essence of what begins to create or unfold manifestation. One of the first attributes that the manifestation, cosmic manifestation process includes is um, three attributes, if you will. And uh, they're described as the positive pole, the negative pole, and then the movement, the uh, transformation, the change agent, if you will, between the two poles. And they're known as the three gunas. The positive pole is sattvic, and this influence is uh, to attract and to illumine. And then there is the negative pole, the Thomas guna, and this is this negative pole is inertia. It's dull. It's gross. But And then there's the um, interactive movement. And this is a transformative between the two poles. So these gunas begin to create or unfold manifestation process. They're embedded in all of manifestation. And they're necessary. All three of them are necessary. They actually bring order into the manifestation process. And they can be viewed here in our physical environment as being represented by their different influences and attributes. So we look at sattva that's known as air or vapor, if you will, here on earth. And we have rajas, the uh, movement as liquid. And I often kind of, uh, remind myself by looking at the various forms of water, if you will, like a river or an ocean or a babbling brook. It's movement, but it's actually a transformative movement that creates changes. And then the um, negative pole or the uh, Thomas influence is solid, and that's what it's. It's dense. It creates the gross parts of the manifestation process. 
And it's kind of interesting because we also have the three gunas. And I kind of take a look at and when I do my studies to say, how does this relate to me? What are the benefits that I can extract from understanding these? And when we look at the three gunas and their influences, um, for example, even um, time is influenced by the three gunas. And um, from 4 a.m. to 8 a.m. is uh, sattvic influence. And this is a good time to rise and meditate because you're calm, you're attracted to the higher nature, your uh, illumination occurs. So it's a good, restful, calm period where we should be meditating, being quiet and still and influenced by the attraction to our connection with the soul. And then from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. is Rajas. That's the movement. And it makes practical sense when we look at the world and everybody's working and involved, taking care of duties and responsibilities. And so that's the um, active part. And then um, from 8 a.m. to 4 a.m. is the Thomas influence. So it's the time to rest, and most people sleep during that time. So Roy Davis would always recommend, you know, go, go to bed before 10, but even going to bed at 8 o'clock, and he often would, and then would rise early in the morning. So the influences of the gunas are there throughout the day, and they're part of the time process. Even food has uh, influences of these gunas, and you probably had all kinds of experiences with foods. And if you're eating foods that are um, sattvic influence, you know, they're typically whole, good nutritional food and they do well for our body. And if you're eating um, the rajas food, they can stimulate your system and kind of influence it's not necessarily in the positive way. And then of course, Thomas foods will just make you very dull and lethargic and is set back. So when you look at all of the process of um, these or the effects or the influences of the gunas, I also just kind of look at it and say, okay, where's my personal state? What about me physically, mentally, emotionally? And you look at your all of your states of consciousness so that you can see what's going on with me and make sure that you have the best influence. You want to go towards the sattvic influence, if you can, in all areas of your life. So the um, if you're feeling, you know, sluggish, you're feeling inertia, you're feeling a little bit lazy, you know, you got a little bit too much of that tamasic influence. And take a look at what's going on. You know, is it the diet? Is it the exercise? Is it the thinking process? Too many concerns with the outer world? Then you want to lift yourself from that, from that place of that tamasic influence. And of course, if you're restless and a little bit mood fluctuations happening, going on in our lives, then... Um, we become a little bit undisciplined. You know, maybe we're not meditating every day. Um, 
And you also are more attractive when you have the Rajasic influence. You're more attracted to physical, uh, outward, worldly, worldly stuff. And some of it might be, you know, concerns or issues or problems you're dealing with. But you can also just get attracted with fun stuff. You know, oh, I'm so looking forward to. And that's what begins to consume your thinking process. So you need to step back. Pardon me, step back and take a look at what's causing this restlessness. What part of my disciplines, my lifestyle is creating this? And of course, the sattvic influence um, really puts us in a cheerful mood. We're optimistic. We're going to be more compassionate and understanding towards people. Um, And we're going to be more disciplined. So that's the influence you want to encourage, um, you know, throughout the day. And you do it by taking a look at yourself physically, mentally, emotionally. These are the things that we need to change. And Roy Davis would often say, you can, you know, these are just influences. You can overcome them. And anything that you've um, done, you can undo. And we just simply do that by replacing whatever is going on mentally. If we're not thinking right and we don't have our attention flowing with calm awareness, then you change that behavior. You change that thinking. You change what you're eating. So we just have to be honest with ourselves and look at, look at what is influencing that kind of uh, effect in us and then simply change it. So it's really that easy. Um, the cosmic manifestation, manifestation process is um, a beautiful process. And when you look at the effects of the gunas, I remember a little story that uh, Roy said about when he was with Yogananda and he asked Yogananda, well, how many uh, people really focus on experiencing God realization? And Yogananda told him, not many. Um, So many of the um, self-realized souls stay contented in that state where they have the realizations, but they're still enchanted with, with this sattvic influence and they don't go all the way. And Yogananda told Roy Davis, but you must go all the way. So you want to overcome all the influences ultimately, including the sattvic. So as we um, begin to look at the cosmic manifestation process, another um, area that I think is useful to focus on is that part where uh, the influences then begin to create individualized soul process. And so this individualization process has um, four components that I'll speak to. Awareness, ego, mind, and intellect. And awareness is... uh, a process it's a it's a where the unit or the self is aware of it being a unit 
of the whole. It's that soul process that awareness is aware that it's a unit of the whole. And it um, also allows the soul to be conscious or aware of anything once it gets into a physical form, if you will. You know, we, uh, we are conscious of a number of things. You're conscious of the way you're sitting. Is your posture good? Uh, you're conscious of the thought processes that are occurring. You know, when you're walking, you should be conscious. The idea is to be in a clear state of awareness rather than being caught up in our thinking mode and becoming the thoughts rather than being the soul and being aware of everything that we're doing. The awareness can get pretty blurred sometimes, and I'm sure we've all had the experience of uh, maybe going out to a large shopping mall and you're trying to find a parking spot and you've been in different places and you park your car, but your thoughts are with your errand. Oh, I have to get here and you go. And then you complete your errand, you come out and you go, where did I park my car? So the awareness wasn't clear in the moment and being clear where you parked the car. Um, we can be, we should practice being aware of each moment with clarity, being present, fully present, no matter what's happening. And just be there without being distracted and having um, the mind take you into a blurred awareness so that we're not clear and calm and being fully present. That's, that's the whole key of awareness and being conscious. The ego, I know we're all familiar with in our studies and in our discussions, we've talked about the ego is the illusional sense that you are the body, that you are the mind, that you are uh, the role that you play. I'm a female, I'm a teacher, I'm a nurse, I'm a parent. Um, whatever identification we've had through the social upbringing, you know, the, our whole society wants us to be successful. And hopefully most of us have had an upbringing where we're taught how to really be um, successful in, in this world. And so we identify with the world pretty strongly. We don't, unfortunately, have uh, support in our social system to identify with their, our own true nature. But at some point, somehow, the soul uh, has this desire to know itself. Somehow, you know, I've talked to so many people and connected with CSA, and everybody's got these wonderful different stories about when that urge when that desire uh, occurred so that we got connected with Roy or we got connected with CSA. And some, for some people it was crisis for some people, it was a recommendation, a referral, a book that was handed to them, a, a video that they got to see, but we all got here. And the soul has that innate nerd urge to be expressed as it truly is. And so we all have our own stories about that. When we take a look at the example of, of Roy Davis, 
who at a very young age, as a young boy, felt this presence. And he wasn't um, taught necessarily about his true nature, but he just knew that it was there and had to be involved. And so by the time he was 18, he went off to California to uh, find Yogananda and be his disciple. And then he committed the rest of his life to it, to the um, teachings of the truth and sharing it with other people. Um, Same thing with Yogananda. If you look at his life, he started as a very young boy being dedicated to meditating and Uh, finding um, realized souls so that he could uh, be a part of that and wanting to be God realized. So there are examples of starting off at a very young age and being fully committed. And as we know in the Yoga Sutras, uh, the message is we can all have the experience of God realization. And for most of us, it's a uh, steady unfoldment over many, many, many years. And um, you can accelerate that, though, by the intensity of your practice. So it's a good thing to look at how, how much of a commitment do I really have to unfold spiritually. And Yogananda talked about you know, usually new disciples are very enthusiastic and very committed to the truth. And they um, just create a big flame of interest in it. But that flame dies down very quickly and dampens. And so Yogananda says, you know, create strong burning embers that burn for years and years And that's the way to establish yourself in good spiritual practice on a steady, committed path. And it may take years and years, but the unfoldment, the realizations, the insights come stronger and stronger with time. And that's a perfect way of unfolding. So we don't all have to do it like Roy Davis did or like Yogananda, but we all have to stay committed and practicing on a regular basis. And our practices include everything, our lifestyle, as well as meditating and contemplating and studying the nature of consciousness so that we don't get stuck in these beliefs of the ego, this illusional sense of who we think we are, what we think we are. We want to experience the real nature of us. And that doesn't preclude us from being involved in the world and having a good life, a fun life, a happy life. As a matter of fact, it accelerates that as you begin to identify with the truth of your nature and who you are. So that's the ego. And when there's this illusional self, it's the tamasic influence that is occurring, tamasic um, guna actually begins to contract the soul and its awareness that it had initially and begins to identify with the outer world, with the illusional sense of what we think we are. So it's, it's uh, important to be uh, disciplined about all that we do. And Roy used to also recommend that we... Um, be detached from the world. And that's not 
involvement. It's emotional detachment. And he used the term be um, dispassionate in viewing the objective world. That means don't put emotional connection with things that happen. Don't buy into and believe your reactions and the feelings and the thoughts that you have about it. Be disciplined about being detached, just observing, acknowledging what is occurring. If it's a challenge, because we all have challenges. They always occur. Roy had challenges. Yogananda had challenges. But you just view them. You become rational and say, well, this is what I'm going to do to solve the problem or correct the issue. And then you do it. So there's none of this, oh, my God, it's coming down on me, and I hate that, and I this person that. We don't react that way. We're calm. We're even-minded, equal-minded, and we take care of business. And that's the way to lead your spiritual life. There's a story that Roy Davis um, told one time, um, and this, I think, exemplifies or is a good example of being detached. And the story is about um, a young girl who lived in a a fishing village. And the village was poor and, um, but had a lot of social structures and demands on the people. And this young woman became pregnant and uh, she did not want to get the fisherman who was the father in trouble because society didn't accept that behavior. And it would be the fisherman who paid for it. And she cared for him and she loved him. So she thought, oh, I don't want to have him, his reputation destroyed in the village. So she told the villagers that the father was this monk who lived on above the village on top of the hill. And the villagers took the baby and walked up to the little house of the monk and knocked on the door and said, we're told that you are the father of this uh, infant and you must take responsibility and take care of him. And the monk said, ah, so he took the infant and closed the door. And about nine years later, the fisherman who was the father of the baby uh, died and the woman felt so much grief and guilt about having told a story and misled the villagers about who the father was that she went to the villagers and confessed and told the truth and that the monk was not the father. So the villagers went up to the monastery again and knocked on the door and the monk answered and they said, we, we are so sorry. We did not realize. And we just found out you're not the father. And the monk says, oh, so. And he gives the child back and surrenders him. So it's that, oh, so that we live with instead of a reaction of right and wrong and defending ourselves. So the moral of that story is be detached. You know, don't get emotionally involved with anything that occurs in your life. And challenges do occur, and some of them are pretty drastic, but we just have to say, ah, so, and what can we best do to solve the problem?
The other component on the cosmic individualization process is the mind. And both the mind and the intellect, which are the last two items, are really faculties or they're powers that we utilize. These are tools that the soul utilizes in order to, to, to function. And of course, we know that the mind is um, a tool and a faculty that we use to uh, create thoughts, to hold memories, to have ideas. Um, it's a very powerful tool. And certainly what we do know is that this is um, a mind that thinks all of the time. The mind uh, functions are happening, thoughts, ideas, um, judgments, um, analysis. It's going all of the time. And so that's why we're told, well, the key is, you know, you have to relax the mind enough, be calm, rather than getting involved with the thoughts and encouraging them to exist, we calm it down so that we're in just that state of clear awareness. There's not those fluctuations and modifications and thoughts and ideas going on all of the time. We want to slow them down. So um, the, the individualized mind <clears throat> is also connected to universal mind. So we use the individualized mind for our processing and it's a very strong, useful tool, but we have to make sure that we're using it in the positive fashion, thinking positive thoughts, being constructive, not being judgmental, always watching the thought process so that you're exhibiting that um, um, sattvic influence, the higher thoughts, the uh, constructive thoughts, the illumined thoughts. Um, so it's up to us to control it. The influence is there and we use it or we don't. The mind is there. We use it in a constructive way or we just are randomly um, creating uh, situations for ourselves if we're not thoughtful about what we're thinking. So the thinking, the individualized mind is part of the universal mind and it's by our own thoughts by our own beliefs, by our own acceptance of what is our occurring in our life that gets uh, supported by the universal mind. So whatever habitual thinking you're doing, the universal mind responds to your individual mind, your thoughts, your beliefs. And that's the way we create our lives. And we can do it consciously and be thoughtful about how we see our world and what we believe and what we think about it, or we just allow our thoughts to be random and circumstances arise that affirm those very thoughts. So it's useful to be constructive and clear and in that uh, God awareness at all times. That's very important. Now, the last component is the intellect. And the intellect is also a faculty, but it's a faculty of discrimination and discernment. And that's a tool that we use. So we want to be making wise decisions at all times. And the more you make 
wise decisions, the more uh, discriminative you become, the more supportive the system. Again, it's a response that occurs that reinforces the very things that you do. So you want to make sure that you're um, tuning in to the purity of your qualities and exhibiting those at all times, tuning into your intuition so that you know the right thing to do at all times. So that's the intellect process. And the more we practice making wise decisions and taking right action, the stronger that becomes for us. It's just a, um, an, it's like anything else, you know, you develop your muscles by, by practicing your exercises well, you develop that faculty of discernment and, and intuition by practicing good decision-making, wise, um, righteous living. Uh, these two faculties, the mind and the intellect, are very relevant in our lives, and they have a concept about thinking about God all of the time, um, it's a, it's a perceiving of um, intellectual inquiries about God, uh, contemplation about God awareness that that discernment allows the intuition to open up and express more clearly about the truth of our nature. When you look at the manifestation process, um, it's, and I've read Roy's books and he presents this in different books and he always gives you a little bit different perception and then your insight grows. And it's something that the rational mind, um, it's difficult to wrap it up and say, ah, aha, I've got it. It's not that rational process. And yet, on the other hand, the rational mind does grasp it. And again, as you look at it a little bit more deeply, it unfolds more clearly for you. So it is a very orderly process. It's, for me, it's amazing when we begin to uh, study and understand it. The unfoldment of manifestation is quite incredible. And um, I think it was Einstein that said, you know, I didn't come up with my theories with the rational mind. And he didn't. What he did was intuitively connect with that universal mind. He intuitively understood and knew these theories and how to put them forward. So it wasn't just the rational mind that grasps it. We go beyond that. And the intuition as we tune in all of that knowledge, all of that God knowledge is available to us. We just have to be still, look within, and identify with it. We, we just need to, to uh, be clear enough in our awareness to see all of the unfoldment and manifestation process that occurs. And, you know, it's, it's, you can step back, and I know we've all done this, it's it gets to be pretty miraculous when you look at life. You know, anywhere from holding a little seed, a little tiny seed, and you put it in the dirt with a little water and it grows into this plant with fruit. Um, 
it just, it's amazing. Now, some of that is rationally explained. When you look at it, the miraculousness, if you look at miracles, they say miracles is just uh, something that can't be explained uh, or scientifically proven. Well, the whole manifestation process, you look at your body and how it functions, that's pretty much of a miracle, isn't it? Uh, the central nervous system and the brain and all the organs and the interaction that has to occur, uh, let alone for us to be communicating intellectually about God and understanding this process, that to me is pretty miraculous. And then there are certainly even beyond, um, you know, the, the physical body. I, I look up at the, the sky and the, enormity of it it's just incredible and unfortunately i live in an area where there's a lot of um city lights so i can't see all the dazzling stars anymore but periodically when you go off into a more secluded area where there's no city lights that sky is fascinating it's just it can take you into a whole different perception of the world There's a quote that says there's two kinds of people in this world. One who look around and see no miracle at all, or those who open their eyes and see everything is a miracle. And I think that's a good perception to have. See that everything is spiritual. Everything is sacred. Everything comes from this one consciousness And the process of manifestation is miraculous. And have that perception, have that view, have that understanding. There's miracles happening for me all of the time. I was reading this um, article a couple of weeks ago about um, astronomers who observed a black hole swallowing up a neutron star that is um, being recorded and objectified and proven. It was the first time that astronomy had ever seen a neutron star eaten by a black hole. Um, and I thought, well, that's, that's pretty interesting that you, they can actually record this kind of stuff and observe it and study it and confirm that, yes, that's, that's what's happening. Now, the the article mentioned that the neutron star is the most dense object in this universe, the most dense object. And they said if you take one teaspoon of this neutron star, it would weigh 500 billion tons. I mean, that to me is like, wow, that's how can God create this marvelous world so intricate and so orderly that everything works. And then, of course, science is demonstrating these, these um, subtle truths of how uh, consciousness manifests itself. So it's pretty incredible. You can see miracles all the time, and we should. We should be opening up ourselves to seeing the miraculous um, and the miraculous in each one of us, each one of us being immortal spiritual beings uh, connected with the permanency of God because it is God alone that sustains and that maintains and that creates. It's God alone that is everlasting. 
And so tune in to your own spiritual self, tune into your soul and function from that level. It's, um, it's a life worth living, a life worth enjoying, but only with God. It's the only thing that matters. So tune into that. And I think with that, I am going to close and give you a, maybe a little bit longer break, but I think we can all use it, stretch a little, and just see the miracle happening within each one of you throughout the day. Thank you very much. Thank you, Leody. So we're going to take a comfort break until 11.15, and then we will return to this seminar series, Developing a Personal Relationship with God. And Pascal Chambers will be presenting um, her hour on how to know what to believe. <laughs> 